Hello and welcome to Serpent Temple. This is the music podcast where we delve deep into the minds of musicians and artists using the art of psychards, akin to tarot. Today we'll be talking to Sam Lloyd, who's a prolific musician involved in Akakoka, Antichrist Imperium, Voices and Shrines. He's an incredible guy. Welcome to the podcast and enjoy. Thank you. So I'll show you where to put the cards. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, so we put the first one here face down. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be the closest thing to you, kind of informing who you are and where you're going. Second one goes here. Third one here. Fourth here. Number five. Six, seven, eight, nine. So we'll do these ones first, and then if we have time, we'll do one here, one here, and two each side. So they'll be where you're coming and going, and these will be what's coming towards you in your life as well. I'm being really unclear about this, but we'll get there. So, oh my god! Seems clear to me. Yeah. It's relatively clear. So turn over the first card, and we'll see what okay. you get. Death. <laughs> but it's inverted. It was inverted initially, right? Okay, that makes. I didn't. So that makes a difference. It does. Oh wow. Okay. Cool. If they all so come out inverted, then the deck's just upside down. So yeah. We'll see what happens. It might not be inverted, but I'll read you the death description, and if it rings true then you can tell me what it brings to your mind. So the death card is described as a doorway that leads into a mysterious burial chamber, a skull-shaped hill. Flowers lead the path to the portal, but the mood of the card is somber. Death is the natural end of life, and the card symbolizes finality. The tomb brings reminders of resting places of the great heroes of mythology and carries with it an implication of the possibility of rebirth. Right. Um, I think really the first thing that springs to mind would be uh, how much death is a constant, there's a constant barrage of death at the moment. Definitely. And I'm trying my best not to read news mm. and things like that, but um, at the moment I'm, uh, I can't really comprehend what's going on with the virus and the pandemic. Um, and one of the sort of stark reminders is the tallies of all the um, various countries and global death rates. Um, and it's something that it's, I think, you know, there was a time where I, I, I was a bit more perhaps positive on my outlook on the, on the, on the potential of death. Um, but maybe of the last six months to a year, you know, it's become a lot more of a negative perception. So in terms of just responding to that, you know, <laughs> the first thing that springs to mind is is what we're currently going through and the perception of death completely changing. Is I mean, it the sheer volume of deaths that's made your perception change? Probably, yeah, Yeah. actually. Um, I mean, of course, everybody would want to uh, die in a kind of peaceful way, free of... Um, 
anguish and long-lasting kind of pain or suffering. And I feel like, you know, obviously, with the unfortunate people involved, uh, uh, as we uh, with the global pandemic, that is not the case. So, um, yeah, it's you know, it's it's something that is actually it's like this kind of overbearing sort of blanket of, of a bit of fear, really. I suppose you know. Are you starting to fear your own death? In that case, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not a hypochondriac. I'm a bit of a hypochondriac. Got got there in the end. Um, but I feel like anybody that was, you know, would be some of the worst nightmare, right? Yeah. Um, but even for me, just this thing of like, oh god, I've got a slight tickle in my throat. You know, and the next thing I know, oh, I've got a bit of asthma when I was a kid, and I'm, you know, scared of, you know, have I got it? Mm. Um, Which I suppose the end play is okay, so you get it, and it's that kind of really small percentile, but it is that terrible thing, and so roll the dice, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, it's it's a tough one. How do you think, could you apply that to music as well? Because, you know, Akakopa went through a rebirth. Yeah. And well, we were talking the... about Diminished Fifth becoming shrines as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you flip, if you flip that, and I, and I, and I suppose, I'm, I certainly don't feel like I'm going through a rebirth, but I, there is plenty of new stuff on the horizon outside of the ba- aforementioned bands. Um, but the rebirth of... Um, of Akikoka was a hugely positive thing for everybody involved and, and and I was actually on the outside of that initial rebirth because it's always been Jason and David's and Paul's when he came back into the fold band really um, and so it was just so great to have my friends you know getting that kind of spark in them again um, obviously, anybody that plays music knows that it's got a therapeutic nature, and of course, being absent, um, various parties being absent from the fold, um, which was completely necessary and understandable at the time. Um, but obviously, as soon as you get back into that rehearsal space, um, they knew instantly it was a good thing. Then a few weeks, a few months later, they realised that the band was shit without me. I came back in and uh, and actually through that kind of tentative period um, I would say that it's only strengthened my relationship with all of the, the guys in AK um, and um, and now really as much as it's you know the industry's so different uh, and everything's so kind of different in terms of our workflow, for want of a better phrase, um, it is a really positive thing. The band is just in a good, we have a great time whenever we're meeting up, and I wish it was more, mm. do you know what I mean? Yeah. Have you been able to do any form of like rehearsing or writing during the lockdowns? Um, we have one rehearsal, or not so much a rehearsal, meet up, um, 
I think it was during one of the kind of interim in between lockdown things, you know, because we're all, you know, to take it seriously. Of course, yeah. No, I meant like you know, remotely, not like. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're all like kissing each other and kind of oh, hug, that... hugging and, you know, and yeah, and then going around our old folks, you know. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're complete misanthropes, really. Um, no, uh, we, we just had the one, because our basis, actually, our, the newest bass, like the Spinal Tap thing with the drummers in it, there's <laughs> endless drummers, our newest bassist uh, is based in um, Ireland. So oh. it's a bit more of a kind of have to arrange the, uh, uh, the rehearsal, the situation with that in mind. So, uh, yeah, in, in between when we could make it happen, we've had, like, one in, like six months or so and okay. we just had such a good time mm. and then it was like right we need to make this happen mm. uh, but then actually really we kind of got uh, slightly more um, busy with the other bands mm -hmm. so Akakoka is busy with home recording basically and composing the new record um, and I'll just look forward to sort of get back in the room playing the old stuff always and always yeah yeah, the last time I saw you, you played a New Year's Eve show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was literally before 2020 became 2020. <laughs> yeah. That was really cool. It was an amazing show, actually. Um, nice. Is that the same bassist that you've got? Yes. So okay, Fed, Fed, okay. it's Fed, I should have said Federico yeah. is our bassist. Um, and uh, he's someone, again, that I kind of brought into the fold, if you like, uh, just because I suppose he's a bit younger and we knew each other through playing shows and going to shows and Fed is just a good guy and very creative and very energetic. He has wonderful energy. <laughs> yeah. He's really happy, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously you as a, a fan of Akakoka, do you feel like it changed the dynamic a little bit? On stage, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, like, you guys are always really happy. When I, like, mm -hmm. in the current lineup, I've seen you, like, three or four times now. Yep. You've always just been so happy. And it's really wonderful to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like it, it can be, it can be both a very, you know, the, you know, when things are a little bit more smooth, you know, I think that joy comes through. You mm -hmm. know, I think also when things are less smooth and perhaps maybe even the the, the vibe in the room's a bit kind of more intense mm -hmm. sometimes, uh, it can be. I wouldn't describe it as joyful. I would sort of describe it more as cathartic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and that is probably my favourite. I mean, you couldn't do it every night. You can do it for a tour for bloody God knows how many shows. But there has been a few shows where things are kicking off in the audience. Things are loud and oppressive on stage, and yet we're together. And it's kind of like a it's, it's like a difference between that extra ten percent when you're kind of like doing exercise or something. I don't know. Um, I think one example would be we did a show in um, in Brighton. <laughs> We were there. Were you there? Yeah. yeah. We were in the front row. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was a I mean, of that, recent times, that really was good. one where it's like, right, okay, so this is a small environment, it's sold out. The stage is tiny. It's tiny really stage, stage, so like nightmare. Yeah. For, 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 I think your you laptop know. cables were starting to come out. Oh, yeah. I think I had to help you put one back in. Did you? <laughs> yeah. That's all right. No, <laughs> Always keeping an eye out. That was key to the show. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was just, yeah, that, that sort of slight extra um, atmosphere that you can't quite put your finger on and uh, that was a, a superb show. The set list was incredible for that show. It was one of my favourite set list. old school stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, funny that. 
Yeah. The old blasters. One of my favourite things about Akakoko shows are Paul Scanlon's outfits. Yeah. <laughs> they are incredible. He wears... Uh, uh, how many cowboy boots does he own? You'd have to ask him. <laughs> uh, okay. But it is, he's got a, a wide variety. Yeah. And they, 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 um, they go from the kind of Clint Eastwood, you know, uh, slightly upturned eyebrow kind of... <laughs> The bad and the ugly, dusty, right the way through to like White Snake. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it depends on his mood. I was honestly amazed the first time I saw him walk out. Um, At the the reunion show, I was like, who is that? (laughs) (laughs) What happened to the suit? This guy is. um, Yeah. yeah. Well, you guys have got sort of, you know, in a way, your kindred spirits because you've got the hair. We do. (laughs) I'm too scared to talk to him because I'm worried I will. I don't know, like, I just feel like we have to never yeah. talk to each other. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because we're so the same. Too, I'm worried there'll be some kind of strange, like, physical... Powerful. Like, nexus. Implosion. <laughs> Singularity. An I don't implosion. Know. Yeah. An implosion of forces, which I think, you know, could happen. There might also be a likelihood that you speak to him and within sort of the first two minutes he starts talking to you about like different types of guitar. Oh, <laughs> guitar solos and stuff and uh, you're like... And I'll be like vocal solos and <laughs> vocal pedals and we won't really, like there'll just be some kind of wall. Yeah, it wouldn't work mm. out, yeah. Paul Scanlon is a amazing guitar player and probably one of the most committed um, guitar players. Um, and, you know, He's evolved from those early days, which is like all of that really primitive stuff that you hear. Um, it's a lot of pull, you yeah. know. And now he's got into this kind of arena of like very diverse, musically like complex, almost virtuoso yeah, style definitely. kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, you know, if you sort of look at the body of work. Then um, and then way way precedes Akakoka actually. So if you wanted to see some of those other bands, I'm not going to remember the names off the top of my head. But it was in a band called Screaming Jesus, and uh, and a few others. Um, but he's um, you know he just is completely and utterly a hundred percent committed to heavy metal, <laughs> more so than any of us. By a long way. That's legit impressive. Like yeah. you all have incredible mastery of your instruments. Like I can't think of a band that that has more than usually a band that has like one member that's like really good. Mm-hmm. It's like oh you know the guy from I can't think of anyone because I've said like it. Lars Ulrich from Metallica. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, for sure. And yeah, mm-hmm. you got it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to talk about Metallica. I can't believe I disrespected Lars. I'm a big fan. <laughs> Yeah, no, but you guys, like, you all, all play with such ease and such mastery, and it's really clear in the music and also live, so it's really impressive to... Thank you. Well, you're welcome. I wasn't meaning to just give you a compliment about asking Well, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Our camera's just released loads of air. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah, no, um, yeah, no, that's just really fucking cool, man. Um, yeah, it's like, it's not just Paul, you all, all come together with that, and it's like, it's impressive to seeing you guys all develop. I think that's why a lot of Akakoka fans are just so, like, loyal, is that we've seen you all just alchemically transmute into some other kind of level of music. So this is the next cup. Okay. The libido. 
What a surprise. Um, definitely libido, I feel like these are very on-brand cards for you. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so libido is number 17 in the deck. Peacocks are seen flaunting themselves in luxuriant gardens where a snake creeps through the foliage. A fountain gushes up in the background and flowers blossom in beauty to the fore. Libido is the Latin word for pleasure and has been used by psychologists to describe the upsurge of energy that is channeled into the sexual drive, the arts and other human activities. The card thus stands for freedom and particularly sexual pleasure. The snake can be seen as either the serpent in the Garden of Eden or as another joyous manifestation of the life force. The card also implies an awakening awareness of the self and psychic force of the Kundalini. Wow. <laughs> Sounds like my uh, average Tuesday evening. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Funny because you, you mentioned that uh, the first thing that I thought of was a friend of mine has just moved out of London and I think that this is a, something that's happening a lot you know, maybe as some of my friends who are my age are getting a bit older and and London becomes an impossibility. Mm. But the reason why I mention it is because he's moved to a country house and he has peacocks. Oh, wow. <laughs> Holy moly. Like two peacocks that live there. And so I'm there in my kind of flat in Peckham and, you know, ticking away. <laughs> Wow. And um, <laughs> and he's putting up these pictures of these amazing peacocks and like this beautiful house that he lives in now with this lovely he's got a new new baby and oh. his wife and whatnot and um, he's a lovely chap as well and I just and I just think mm, that would be nice you know mm. um, I know that's somewhat of a, a, a you know segue or not a segue kind of um, something different from the subject of the card but I, I would also feel the bitterness for a country house mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah something Certainly. definitely that I think a lot of people who live in London would be horny for is, is a house yeah that's, <laughs> yeah. Stop. Yeah. that's really interesting one thing that springs to mind about the sort of countryside uh, you know what you've just said there uh, is the Wicker Man you know and how yeah. when you think about that movie and the kind of you know the Edward Woodward character, who I suppose is very suppressed and more from a city. I'm, I'm, I can't really remember where he was came from. Maybe it was Glasgow or so where he came from and from from. Anyway, um, and obviously he comes to this sort of like open, beautiful, lavish environment, um, insular. Um, uh, and uh, completely free of of repression and. Um, that springs to mind with this idea um, and I do think that actually being in touch with nature you know it, there's a lot to be said for that and I think that there's a you know there's a definite constriction uh, uh, that, that comes with living in a city you know and I've learned that now the hard way sort of being in London about 11 years I think it's been mm. and um, Whilst I think that there's a lot of kind of like sexuality about London, I think a lot of it's quite surface, um, potentially, and maybe the kind of getting back more in touch with nature side of things is, is, is an avenue of which to kind of be a bit more kind of at one with another person. I don't know. That's a really interesting take, because there is... There's definitely an association with London with like a very particular kind of sexuality, mm. of like um, of like almost one that's like more like consuming. 
yeah. of like you know like you say surface level you've got things like torture garden here and yeah you can you can just go and you know swipe left right I don't know which one it is um, and find someone very easily but in the countryside I suppose not only do you have to work to find someone who has the same interests as you there's not going to be yeah. like a Camden underworld to like wander into and so much choice. To someone. yeah it's thing. too much almost it's too much it's overwhelming yeah. and it's chaotic and I think people here also because you're so lonely surrounded by so many people you're so lonely I think people reach out and try and find connection in the wrong places oh yeah absolutely I feel like you know obviously it's not an exact science and there's plenty of kind of like real amazing interactions that happen on that kind of romantic level that are happening daily mm. but I would say that what has definitely been within my kind of outlook of London is is a pretty kind of you know empty pursuit of kind of almost there's a lot of one-upmanship as well with yeah. regards to that numbers numbers and yeah things like this and I'm by no means a uh one of those people that engages with that, I try not to or whatever, but like, the, you know, as you interact with people, perhaps I have always got a sense that, well, we're just sort of like doing this for fun and we're sort of like meeting up for fun. It's all like kind of crazy and like, who knows whether I'll ever see you again kind of thing. And there's a brilliance to that. Mm. And actually I don't in any way um, downplay the sort of benefits of things like one night stands or whatever but it is ultimately dangerous territory which can lead you uh, potentially um, you know a bit in the empty environment as things feel empty mm -hmm. rather than a more fulfilling long-term thing yeah. you know and there's something a bit more long-term about um, nature um, something a bit more quick you know about city environments we don't have time for nature here i suppose mm. yeah we can't there's no hanging around there's there's always it's funny because when you're in the city i i always feel a sense of urgency um mm. not necessarily in the terms of the libido that would be very um dis distressing well fair enough um different strokes yeah. different <laughs> But yeah, like I think the, the sense of time that you, you feel, you can see time moving so quickly, buildings falling down and being built like within yep. a day sometimes. Mm. And, and you know, you're seeing all these people around you, you never see the same person again. But in the country, you have a sense of, of um, space. Yeah. You see the same people every day, and even if you don't, you see the same things every day, and you see it changing slowly. And it's a lot more comforting, and I think... Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I feel like if I was in that situation, I'd feel the stability would mean I wouldn't necessarily need to go to those places. But I think there's definitely a space for, as you say, like a healthy exploration of sexuality. Yeah, yeah. It's just that there seems to be... It's very easy to to go into the impatience, mm -hmm. you know, impatience sort of environment within London. Uh, and cities in 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 general, really. Um, uh, so yeah, you know, you've got to be. I would say it's you know being a bit aware of okay, how fulfilling is it that this path that I'm taking? Mm -hmm. um, and so with with such stimuli, you know, right in front of you all the time, you get very much kind of hooked into that and I feel like you know obviously at some point I've certainly you know getting to a certain age or whatever it's like you've got to step back and feel like is this it 
because my ego is certainly kind of like being fed a lot but is that the best thing mm. yeah that's really interesting because um i remember discovering aquacocker as a teenager mm. and like there's a lot of tits and satan oh yeah there's a hell of a lot of tits and satan and and like there's something i really have always enjoyed about the band is that it's always kind of been there's not there's not been toxic yeah and like well, I that's nice to hear mm. yeah i mean it's hard now in 2020 yeah. um because you know standards are very high and people are rightfully so in my opinion um like very sensitive to certain representations of women yeah but i feel like somehow it's almost like it's almost unlikely that it would have aged so well um mm. but i've always had such a like positive experience with the like what feels like a kind of celebration of women as yeah. opposed to an objectification of yeah them. i feel like i mean it's great to hear that reflected because of I've, I've, I've given that sort of some contemplation over the recent years as these things have quite rightly come to the forefront and um and knowing the guys you know and our, we're all on a very similar wavelength you know and basically you've hit the nail on the head it is it's kind of like you know it's a wonderful embracing kind of um full immersing of the counter person and in our case it is the female um uh, i think i mean like for instance one film director that springs to mind is stanley kubrick and a film like uh, uh, eyes wide shut you know uh, not to say that we're in the same league in terms of <laughs> genius but um you know when you think about that uh, and his absolute devotion to the female form within that mo movie um it is an appreciation it is a fascination it is a uh, understand it's a, hopefully an understanding position to have um uh, although somewhat sort of or trying to understand um and so with akakoka there's never been an air or voices or any of it there's never ever been an air of um of kind of one-upmanship or anything like that which i mentioned before i mean i think with voices there's a little bit more of a tension there maybe you know it's a little bit more of of, of a male trying to decode male insecurity mm. a big influence of ours was um Graham Greene's The End of the Affair, that novel. And uh, that's kind of the best representation of the kind of anxiety-driven uh, male mind trying to decode the female uh, goddess that's in front. That's just the kind of hopeless dream, you know. Um, but with Akakoka, it's certainly just this, this total worship, really, you know. So yeah, it's good to hear that reflected back, you know, that it's aged well. I mean, that's great to say. Yeah. You know. I mean, I, I don't know how, um, if you'd released that stuff today, how it would have, mm. how it would have gone down. I think, I think it would be a bit old hat. That's what mm. I would say. Yeah. Like, you know, I feel like things have moved on mm. and that was what it was. And it, it's a snapshot of the time. Snapshot of the time. Yeah. But it was a positive snapshot of the time. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and, uh, it's just all this, you know, <laughs> talk. Um, but it's, it's funny because obviously within metal, there's often quite a lot of difficult interpretations of oh this kind of stuff oh, yeah. and like, i think you have to take a lot of it with a pinch of salt though if i'm, I'm yeah right? but it goes way overboard it, it gets old after a while yeah. seeing the same music video of like oh the woman's being tortured for no reason right. and and the same song of, of somehow 
Yeah, I think there needs to be not necessarily an understanding of women, but like I think some people just really get lost in the same cliches. It's like that fucking spinal tap thing where um, <laughs> you know uh, they can't understand why their why their front cover work wasn't allowed, right? Mm. Um, and the other band, whatever the big band of the time was, was allowed is because the front man of that record was being tortured by the women, whereas Smell the Glove, it was to the water woman, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, are there oh, so clever. There's such a fine line between, you know, being an idiot and being a genius or whatever it fucking The irony is, I can't actually think of a band that's even done something like that, where it's the right. woman, like, you know, where the man's being objectified, or it's like the male yeah. and the, the female gaze, if there even such a thing exists, um, I'm not a theorist when it comes to these things. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, like, that's, that's an interesting thing. And I, and I found it interesting that the, the band have also, like, kind of moved away from that in, like, yeah. Renaissance and Extreme. Oh. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like, again, the, the, obviously, the, the guys were the main driving creative force, obviously, behind all that. And so I can sort of come in from a sort of live percent, um, uh, side, but, you know, from uh, what they wanted to do in terms of the iconography of, the, of that record, I think it was far more embedded within, like, their own struggles personally. That really comes across. Yeah, so yeah. it was totally a complete reversal of the more should we say, hammer horror, you know, uh, worshipping stuff of the... It was like a loss of the female at that point in the album, almost, like... Yeah, that's interesting, yeah. There's like a great sense of loss and and emptiness, Mm. like, in in a beautiful way. Well, they, I'm I'm not, I don't know how intentional that was, but now that you say it, it's like, there isn't, there's no real themes of, of women, or obviously the the Satan side of things, had completely been eradicated by that mm-hmm. point. Any uh, any notion of that? Um, and so I think, really, to be honest with you, the uh, the last record was a complete turnaround in terms of any themes, as you quite rightly say. So in fitting with that, you know, women didn't come up really. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't think that's a bad thing at all. No. I think it, like it all musically flows so naturally, and like yeah. you don't. I'm not like, oh, but where's my Satan and Tim? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some well, people, a lot of people were said, like that. They were, yeah, and that yeah. really annoyed me when it came yeah. out because they were not listening to the music at that yeah, point. Yeah, exactly, you know? and that's the most important thing, right? Yeah. So you know, the guys, you know, and Jason and David's exploration within the lyrical themes was more personal and more, if for want of a better phrase, real life, surrounded real life within you know maybe um i can't speak for them obviously but that is the truth i think mm-hmm. uh whereas in, in in sort of previous years you say it was more of a kind of fantastical thing that revolved around the kind of hammer aesthetic you know and that's it in a kind of nutshell really yeah, for sure i mean there's definitely you can see on the covers the film influence sometimes totally yeah which we all always have throughout all of our bands you know yeah, definitely totally yeah. Yeah, like the, the T-shirt you showed, you shared um, the other day with like the yeah. keyhole. And yeah, the, the keyhole. I love yeah. that one. Yeah, it's so cool. There's always a sense of like watching, of vision, of like interaction, and like viewing from a, a place that's not in the reality necessarily. I love that, yeah. of, like what you're putting out there, which I find through the keyhole thing. Yeah, yeah. Like a voyeurism. Yeah, which actually is something that I think Voices is completely obsessed with. To be honest, yeah, voyeurism is a big part of our. Thing. I think being a Londoner, you're just a boy all totally. the time. When I'm on the top, I mean, this is terrible, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> when I'm on the top, 
floor of the bus, you know, uh, I'm just particularly when I used to live in posher parts of town. And I used to go out Chelsea Way and I just used to look into these million pound houses going like, that. who the fuck are you, man? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, oh, I see how they've done their drapes. That's another yeah. thing. But I do that on the train. I look at people and be like, I think you're a marketing associate. <laughs> <Yeah. But> that's <laughs> how probably how boring it actually is. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what Russian sort of embassy do you work for? Yeah, yeah, I love yeah. like trying to decipher who people are. It's really fun. Yeah. Okay, um, this is the next card. Thank you. Buff. Oh wow, Buff, Death and Libido, that's really... Christ, they're heavy hitters. <laughs> that's, a, that's a narrative right there. How Can I have your um, mm, bottle thing? Yeah, thank you. That's me. Bottle openers, that's otherwise known. <laughs> <laughs> this is our linguistically advanced podcast. Yeah. <laughs> linguistically challenged. Yeah. We are linguistically trying. Thanks for the beer. <laughs> do, do you want a beer? <laughs> We, we tried. Okay, number 15, birth. This is a really libidinous looking card as well. Um, new life is seen springing forth from the womb, the plant making a new green shoot with droplets of fresh dew under a morning sky. The card stands for the natural coming to birth of new ideas, a new hope, a new person entering the closed world of your life. It is a card of spring and psychological growth with the promise of new beginnings. Well, that sounds nice. It does. Um, I think this period that we've been through and continue to be kind of surrounded by at the moment, hopefully there's light at the end of the tunnel, but um, I think that it has both been that horrible challenge and it brings you down, but then for me personally it has opened up some doors. Um, and it's as simple and almost as boring and, and as prosaic as saying, excuse me, I had the time to be able to focus on some stuff, musically speaking particularly, that I otherwise might have not have been able to. Reason being, I didn't have to go to my part-time job. So that opened up the half of the week that I didn't then otherwise have. Um, and so either you kind of completely um, you know, got uh, rolled over by this pandemic lockdown furlough period, um, or you utilise the time. And don't don't get me wrong, I had a lot of downtime as well. But I utilise the time, and I have been um, very musically active outside of heavy metal, and there's been heavy metal as well. But outside of heavy metal, and um, I'm pleased to say that there is some very interesting different stuff in the very near future because of, it's only taken a fucking global pandemic to really <laughs> do it. But, um, you know, uh, again, I know, I know it's difficult to always sort of tie back to the pandemic thing, but I just think it's just so overwhelming. Yeah. I can't not say that really, this is the thing that is dictating almost everything at the moment from a, you know, uh, path side of things for me, mentality side of things, um, and either you, you know, completely uh, fall flat from it, or you at least come out with some positives. And I'm happy to say that what, out of all the negatives, and I can assure you that there have been, there is some positives, so some new paths. Mm. Yeah. So when those new things happen, where can we find them? 
It's not out yet. Okay. Great. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just have to, mm. to wait and see what is birthed from the but womb of yeah. some Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, you, you can cut that if you think it's a bit too... Uh, um, I don't know what the word no, is. No, it's because you said womb and loins together. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, you are the man of birth! Yeah. You should keep that in. Yeah. That's amazing, yeah. I never realised. I never even thought of your name that way, you know. Wow. It didn't even connect. You're yeah. so, you have a fertile name. You're such a yeah. creative person. And like, mm. all these like, fertility things come out Dutch. you. It comes from a Dutch. So it's spelled L-O-Y-N-E-S, mm. which is... A very odd spelling, mm. um, and most people can't pronounce it. And sort of lions and lions, blah blah blah, because I think they're used to L Y O N S. Uh, yeah, right? the French. Exactly, um, but yeah, it's it's loins and it's Dutch and it's from like fishermen or something. Ah, so you may uh, come from like seafaring trader. So I believe so. Yeah, that's really interesting. On, on my dad's side. Yeah. If we get the voyage come up, then um, yeah, we know it's confirmed. The spirits have. Confirmed it. So the next card is going to be this one. Okay. The Tower. That's a really fun card. Um, Tower Hamlets. Tower Hamlets. <laughs> yeah. I used to live near that. Did you? Oh my goodness, I did. But you also lived in Pe- Peckham as well. I, I was born in Nunhead. I oh yeah, cool. Woodside Park, East Finchley, Potter's Bar, Stepney Green. Uh, I kind of spent a lot of time in Kew. Live somewhere else. That's great. <laughs> like a nomad, but within London. Indeed, I, I've cool. been living out of a suitcase for the majority of my adult life. It's uh, it's been a ride. That's okay. cool. The tower. A castle stands on a hillside without a moat or a visible door. Proud, stern, and unyielding, the symbol represents achievement gained in the face of adversity and reflects sometimes the arrogant conscious mind repressing repressing the unconscious mind beneath it. It can often presage the pride that goes before a fall. It can also stand for male sexuality. Hmm. (laughs) There's a running theme here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, the struggles of the ego are present I think and, and even you know by no means are any of my sort of projects like huge bands or anything like that but you know uh, you know it is we are lucky enough to sort of occasionally have these short bouts of very amazing things in front of us kind of thing and being treated as I mean it goes from one side of getting like a plate of nuts for dinner yeah. at like a shit venue in a dog and duck in you know none hell <laughs> the right way through to we were talking before about Hellfest and these festival experiences that you get and in Europe in particular which I think is a lot more of a hedonistic environment I mean obviously Europe's so big but like you know certain areas of Europe I mean France is a good example where <laughs> you know basically you know you drink your food your openness your everything the people it's just straight away like well it's very different to the kind of slightly more the crossed arms and the crossed arms being the very, UK proper yeah. and kind of repressive little island that we live in um or suppressive i should say <laughs> um but you know you, the ego does come through you know and and sometimes you have to kind of step back and go like well how lucky am i to have these small episodes within my life that I can kind of behave in this terrible, terrible way. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, card, the tower card is usually a bit of a mystery one because mm. there's no door to the tower. So it's more of a, like, 
Do you let people in? Do you not let people see you? Do you prefer to have boundaries? Or are you someone who prefers to conceal yourself away? Um, I feel like it's a double-edged sword to a degree because obviously you know me, I like to talk to people and I like to you know, uh, socialise within reason um, and I'm not kind of like the guy in the, in the shadows in the back, you know. However, from a purely kind of like interpersonal point of view, um, I, I find myself being always very reserved and um, I have no interest in kind of exposing myself. I think this is not uncommon for anyone really, but I'm not an open book um, to anyone really, and that's a conscious thing, but also something that's just in my nature. So yeah, you know, there is no, um, it's not obvious what may be lurking underneath, um, and it's not obvious to me a lot of the time, but I find it difficult to be um, transparent. Yeah. That's interesting. I think that's a that's a common card that I, I see. Maybe it's just because the deck isn't shuffled very well or um could be. It could be that or it could just be that I think a lot of people aren't always so aware of how their unconscious and their conscious interacts. Yeah. Because that's usually what the door is seen to be. Well, I'm now trying, uh, I, I've just, over the last kind of like month now, I've been doing transcendental meditation actually. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I like that a lot. I love meditation. So um, I'm by no means, because I have like a really overactive mind basically, so I can't switch off the constant thoughts. But I'm trying, and even if, when you get those little tiny even 10 seconds it might be of quiet or when you go outside of somewhere you know I have already felt that it's a good thing and I'm going to keep it up and I hope that through more practice I will become better at it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's definitely a practice thing it's um, absolutely yeah. mental when you're trying to get inside and outside of your head at the same time mm -hmm. it's pretty pretty much a mind um let's turn it in this car I swear okay. thank you it's a mind <laughs> it's the beast. I can, I can, beast. can I swear? I think I can. Yeah, you can yeah. swear. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just. This isn't on like BBC. <laughs> I wish. Can you imagine? They swear all the time now. Yeah. I think you've got to. I remember um, a new writer for the BBC, and apparently yeah. you've got to do like swear word negotiations. So if you can have one cunt yeah. an episode. Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you can have like five fucks. Yeah. So you can you can choose you can like try and negotiate. Oh, I want to I want to throw in a, a c word. Um, yeah. But then they have to take out like a shit here and a, a fuck there. And well, it's worth it because that's a, it's an impactful word. It re really is. Yeah. So this is the beast. I mean, Christ, is this set up or something? <laughs> I, honestly, I I didn't. It, you, you we saw you shuffle the cards. I, did, I thought I did a reasonable job. <laughs> honestly, it freaks me out sometimes how um, accurate these can be to the people um, that are using them. And there's a really the artwork on this card is gorgeous. <laughs> can I have a look, please? Please, yeah. Thank you. It's a big red lizard dragon. Is that funny? <laughs> it's just a broken cameraman. There's a big red lizard dragon. Mm -hmm. um, number thirty feet. For number. You're gonna have so much work to do for the editing. No, I'm leaving this in. God damn it. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> My linguistic advancement continues. <laughs> Number 33, a dragon bars the path. Fearful and malevolent, the characteristics of the dragon represent the challenge of facing up to evil. It stands for confrontation with the powerful, dark forces of our unconscious mind. Also for the bad temper and spiteful side of our natures, or that of others. Christ. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I haven't really got much conflict in my life at the moment with, with regards to other people. Mm. To be honest, there's no obvious example of that, but I feel like, you know, I am definitely grappling, and this is not unusual for me, but it's kind of like grappling of, um, of the difficulties that the um, situation has embedded. That, were, that was always there, um, but I felt like I've been really quite healthy for a good few years, you know, and living life to its fullest, to be honest. Mm. And then all of a sudden, I'm actually having quite a lot of conflict within my own self. And one of the way, ways to kind of try and decode that and cope with it is obviously music, so... Beautiful. There's a there's a positive out of it, I suppose, but it's not very pleasant. I mean, that's the thing with the creative process. It's such a, you know, I feel like with those people, I think everybody's really creative in their own way, almost. Maybe not everyone, but most people. But I feel like the creative process, when it's really at the forefront, is actually quite an unpleasant thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and can be uh, quite an unpleasant thing for both the person exhausting but then also for people around them um, that's not always the case but it's definitely um, if you're doing something with real um, validity maybe and um, it's not just kind of theatre which is great as well there's a lot of bands and musicians and poets and a lot of do theatre and I love that but when something's like a real conviction fuck me that's quite scary is it harder when it's more personal to you what you're doing? No, because I'm sort of a narcissist, probably. And so <laughs> when, when, I, when I'm, you know, one of the very few ways that I'm actually able to um, kind of express what I want to express to people and have them respond in the way that I, that I kind of want them to respond a lot of the time is just through, through, through music and, and that. So, yeah. That's interesting. Like, how do you find that manifests? Um... The purest way that it's that it manifests is actually outside of the band context. Mm -hmm. You know, um, within a band, it's kind of like this, um, you know, collective of creative kind of sparks. You know, and then you hopefully reach this kind of synergy. Often, that synergy, the, the roots of that synergy, are often very turbulent. You know, um, but for me, uh, you know. It, when it manifests in its kind of most purest form is just when I'm doing my own music that's untarnished. I know it sounds like I'm getting on the, on the back <laughs> of my band members because you know, that's not what I mean at all, but for something that's like with true conviction and it's just basically about me, the, only, the, the only way that that's achieved is that it's a, a song or a piece of music that's holistically taken care of by me from beginning to end. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I, I find that like there's a lot of beasts in 
the self when you're being creative, because you're not always yourself, I find, personally, when you're yeah. writing, and also in the industry, and, mm. and everywhere. You get them at shows, I think you get them in... When you're trying to email someone sometimes as a beast, I don't know, yeah, it's, it's interesting yeah. to think about in a musical context, too. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two big you know, differences there that you've alluded to, which is the more kind of musical environment which and creative environment, which to me... The, argu the argument is, is, is that fully me then? These things that I'm saying, like this song that I think that best represents me and all the kind of like facets of, of me. <laughs> um, and I'd say, yeah, maybe that is it. Um, whereas with regards to representing yourself within the industry and trying to kind of do that thing, it's kind of the opposite. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like, there's a part of me that I'm very much myself when I kind of go out and want to, you know, make an impression, you know, but ultimately it is more of a kind of theatre. So, it, you know, that's the kind of similar parallel to what I was saying before musically, but just in yourself, you know, it's like, right, okay, we're going to go to the show. Oh, I'm lucky enough to sort of have a backstage pass or something. I know whoever's going to be there. Well, you're not going to be as natural as we are because we've known each other for years. You know, you go up there and you, you do this, you do that. Sometimes you behave like an idiot. Sometimes you behave like whatever. <laughs> it's all a bit of something. Yeah. It's not quite real. Exactly. You know? And, um, you know, it's nice when you do... And I try to be as real as possible, you know, Christ. Like, I'm not, you know... You know that sort of you see phonies and they're of, often there, but it's actually served me quite well to kind of just be me. People know what you're gonna get. Even if it's a form of me, if you like, mm. <laughs> they know what you're gonna get. Yeah. yeah, bit of a fucking maniac. It's a bit too <laughs> drunk, probably. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know it's a difficult one. But the phonies stick out, man. You know. Yeah, you can't get away with it. And something like. I think maybe in certain industries you can, you can pretend, like get away with a surface level of knowledge, but if you have a conversation with someone like that, it quickly becomes clear that they're, they want something. Yeah, yeah. I don't mind that even. It's mm. like, you know, that's also fine, that's a part of the thing, but it's like, let's not kill ourselves, you know, this isn't really what I'm here for. It's like, okay, I'm having a good time now and I'm glad that maybe we've made this connection and maybe something will happen in the business sense in the future, but ultimately I'm here to sort of just be a devil. <laughs> <laughs> really, we were the beasts we went along the way. <laughs> That's brilliant. This is the next cut. Mm -hmm. Okay, this one here? Yeah. Okay. The Fool. Wow, it's like every time we talk about something, something related it to that thing comes to, up. Yeah. The Fool, um, every single music person I've ever done this with always brings up the fall, including me, yeah. including Shem. We always, it's its the musician's card, I always say this. Yeah. <laughs> Not you because we're fool. fools, but know, really. oh, we are a bit foolish, but like, I don't know. I, I guess you have to have a level of foolishness to play music totally. in the way we do. Like to yeah. go into like, I'm just going to play heavy metal and... I mean, particularly heavy metal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we could just go make, like, wibbly-wobbly electronic music and get yeah. really rich on Twitch or something. But yeah. no, we're choosing to play, like, buttfuck pub shows. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> I know you could relate to that, like, many years in the past, but I'm sure you, you've played those shows. And yeah, like, the fool plays his own tune as he walks off the edge of a cliff. 
Um, so piping merrily along the cliff top away from his house, ouch, his house perched perilously on the edge. The fool dances along, skipping over the roots of the tree. This character can stand for folly and stupidity of the sort that brings so many ventures to ruin. In oneself and in other people, it can also symbolise the holy fool, the person who can tell us truths of a sort which a wise man cannot. There can also be the sense of someone playing their own tune for your life. <laughs> um, I definitely think it's in relation, straight away in relation to the heavy metal thing, really. Because me and Dave uh, often joke about the idea of like, well, we're going to make all this music and it's going to look all this incredible stuff that's going to go on and blah, blah, blah. No one's going to fucking hear it. We're still going to be sort of making music down at like, you know, our, you know, our parents' garages and stuff like this and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and to be honest, there's actually like a real... And, and you know, I, I do feel like perhaps I'm, I've got some other, you know, fingers in different pies, but you know, coming up, certainly, but at the moment with my kind of heavy metal career, I don't regret it for a second. However, the amount of effort and time and suffering and joy and madness and all the rest of it, it doesn't equate on the other side in terms of, like, stability, mm-hmm. uh, life progression, you know, but that in the normal sense. So, therefore, we always joke about being a fool in that sense. But... I also do say to some of my bad members that just that one experience that you may get with somebody that is way outside of your you're batting above your average and you've got this in, incredible experience in whatever city or in whatever festival or whatever and it might range, range from sort of silly crazy experiences to incredible human interaction or whatever just one of those experiences is worth a whole lifetime of boring nine to five success career path stability just one of them (laughs) (laughs) so we're lucky you know so they're kind of like well we're kind of foolish for doing what we do but we find it funny I think we're more foolish in the eyes of others for doing it. I think mm. I think someone working nine to five doesn't realise that they're in hell sometimes. Mm. They might have the mortgage, they've got the house, and they've got the stability, they've got the family, and they're happy. And I think that's great. Mm. And that's you know, there's a real. I actually envy a lot of that. Sometimes. I do sometimes big as time, well. Yeah, big time. really. All that like, with say, a day job and like thinking I'm going to go home and write for hours after this. Yeah. Yeah. But I. I revert back to that idea of like just one of those experiences, <laughs> yeah. like that time that I threw up in a bin outside whatever, <laughs> you know, outside whatever place, and they were laughing at me, and it was on the road or whatever, or you know, I should say something about it. Or, you know, when you're hanging out with some of the bands you used to listen to, mm-hmm. yeah, it's yeah, like you know, fucking hell, you know, it's, you know, what am I doing here? I'm sort of like you know, well, that's that's like us now. I once hung out with Iggy Pop for a bit. That's really cool. cool. That was one that I don't usually go on about things. I mean, with, with regards to sort of name dropping or whatever within the industry. But I was very lucky to have that experience. Very lucky to have the experience that I did with uh, Motorhead and Lemmy. Wow. So luckily... 
when I was growing up, and can, you know, he's still one of my good friends now, um, one of my very close friends, his father was the owner of the production company he used to look after my head. Okay. And uh, so I would, as a 16-year-old, I am maiden-wearing T-shirt with fucking mullet, <laughs> and I would get invited to dinner with Levy, you know, oh and like, you know, hang out at the shows and stuff. And then as I got a bit older, sort of loved a bit of gear in here and there. And Levy, we, we got on quite well. And, um, you know, obviously he meets like 150 people a day, was what he did, you know. Uh, but, you know, was very, very lucky to have those experiences. And I think, like, yes, we may be fools because we're not making any fucking cash out of this shit <laughs> and it's not like a career path. But you know what? Like, I got to smoke Lemmy's fucking Marlboro Reds because he would just pass them to me and he didn't even ask. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know yes, what I mean? yes, yeah. Well, it's like, well, I, um, you know. Matt Pike would kill to be you. <laughs> <laughs> Like people really go mad. Like obviously, as I say to you, like I, I mean this. I don't try and say it about like to be sycophantic or to be name dropping or anything like that. But when I mention some of my amazing experiences that I was so lucky to have with Motorhead and Lemmy in particular, everyone from like Slash to Barney from Napalm, whoever you may you know uh, mention. They're like, tell me about Motorhead, tell me yeah. about Motorhead. Like, what did he do here? What did he do? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm fucking lucky, man. That is you know? really fucking... Mm. A young age where that kind of thing even means so much more. So much more. He yeah. taught me a lot, man. Really? He, didn't, he wasn't, like, trying to or whatever, but, like, I always thought that, like... Let, I never saw Lemmy be like rude or like horrible to anybody pretty much. I mean, he, he could be, apparently, occasionally, but like, you know, he's obviously a professional, so occasionally things piss you off. And you've been on the road for fucking six months, no wonder you get angry sometimes. But for the large part, he was just this beautifully responsive, polite gentleman to anyone that he would meet. And I feel like any fucker that's going to be a dickhead in the music industry. Well, you know what? You can fuck off, man, because Lemmy did it his way, and yeah. that taught me. You know, I tried to be a good guy because of that. Trying to be a good guy anyway, but like, if Lemmy's going to be cool, then yeah. you have no right to be an arsehole. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I know Lemmy um, actually like saved uh, our cameraman Shem's mum. <laughs> oh yeah. From being harassed. Yeah, she used to. Like, she used to know him back in the day. Yeah. And um, and there was some guy who was harassing her in a club. And um, like he was kind of walking past, my mum was kind of like motioning at him, and and he's like, yeah. and then he's like, you know, oh, you're right, and then and then basically, then we walked over, and his way of diffusing the situation oh. was to push the bloke off of my mum, and then just snog my mum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then my mum pushed him off, and she's like, for fuck's sake, I just wanted you to like, have a word. And he was like, <laughs> and he was like, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, but yeah. he was, you know, me, like he was just kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, really like that. yeah. <laughs> It's like chivalry done Lemmy stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> own brand. Yeah, and he's still yeah, like not like like creepy. You no, know what I mean? No, like you know what I mean? Yeah. He really was. You know, I mean, yes, he was a womanizer, obviously, but um, and had many women, but ultimately, you know, he was raised by his mum and 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 entirely, and and just had this ultimate respect for women. Ultimate, just complete fascination and wonder and respect, mm. whilst also enjoying life. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Not being too serious about it. Yeah. Legend. 
<laughs> yes. Respect. Respect. Um, I'm going to count. Mm, six, seven. This is the next one. Mm-hmm. Cave. Buff, cave, tower, death. Okay. Um, number 39. A character is prostrate. Facing away from the light. Don't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Prostate. <laughs> that would have been an easy mistake. <laughs> the prostate girl. The prostate A character is prostrate, mm-hmm. facing away from the light in the gloomy recesses of a deep cave. This card stands for depression and despair. It symbolizes withdrawal into the self as a result of pain or grief. It can also mean introversion or loneliness and acts as a reminder to the inquirer that the light awaits after a period of healing darkness. Hmm. I mean, Rona, right? Yeah, I mean, I would say that, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm very transparent with anybody really about this thing because I think this is the way it is, but like, I do suffer from depression, have done for many, many years, uh, uh, badly, and... Um, one of the challenges of the coronavirus kind of pandemic has been that it's manifested in a different way that I've never kind of experienced before. And I remember thinking like, oh, I'll take a year out from the music or something, or, you know, playing live, I'm talking, right? That'll be fine, that's good, actually. I've had so much of this kind of fun over this last kind of couple of years. There's no bother, I was fine. A couple of weeks into it, it was just... It just the it, it all just came well, I say a couple of weeks, maybe like more like two months to be honest, but it all just came crumbling down. And it's you know, as I say, my depression has has, has been since I've been a little kid, right the way up to now. Uh, and I think with Corona, um, it has just brought things to the surface um, that are just really, really, really challenging, but in maybe a different way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so obvious to me how the outlet of this interesting show that we might have in a few weeks or, or you know, a recording here, show there, this, that, there, blah, 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 going to see my friend's band there, this band are touring, oh, I'm going to go see them there, all this stuff. I didn't think that really paid any massive part of why I was coping with depression and, and the other challenges uh, so well for a few years now. Uh, and then this has happened. Next thing I know, a few months into it, holy shit, really heavy, really heavy. Yeah. So I'm hoping that there's obviously and like the end of the tunnel. Obviously with the corona thing, I think there is. And I choose to believe that the vaccine is a good thing, yeah. and uh, and that it is going to be something that really moves the whole thing on. Not quickly, but it will do. Uh, and obviously, I'm hoping that in tandem with that, you know, my well-being also is... It's mm. not the be-all and end-all. Corona's not the full reason why, but it is the thing that maybe, if we can eradicate that, maybe it'll become easier. It's harder to cope in ways that you're used to if you... I don't know, I, I, I have the same yeah. thing from, for the same length amount of time, and I've always... Obviously, music is one of the best ways mm-hmm. um, that I guess both of us have found to deal with with it because it's not only a distraction but it's an expression. 
Yeah. And it, you get a sense of connection, you're not so alone in it. But yeah. I think, yeah, like the cave, you know, you're alone in this space and you don't know when you can come out, you don't know mm. when the light is, when, like, I think the ambiguity was the kicker. Yeah. Of not knowing if next week everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Or if next week everything's going to be, the economy's going to collapse even more and, you know, if, if someone's going to come knocking on it or the army's around the corner or yeah. you know, all that mm. fake stuff that was yeah. the hysteria. Yeah. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that though. It, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fine. I mean, it's okay. Thanks for saying that. But, um, you know, it's it's an ongoing struggle. And, and you're right, the, the sort of. Um, unpredictability doesn't play in well with anybody that has I think anxiety which is a very common uh, symptom of depression and mental health in general and mental health problems in general um, and so obviously any trigger you know is going to make it worse uh, and corona let's just call it a trigger it's not like a yeah you know, complete reason why it's happening, but it's it's a trigger for um, many, many people, and myself included, uh, go, going through what is a very, very fucked up, challenging time. In per- and you feel like, sort of, oh, I shouldn't be so self, you know, absorbed by it, or when there's people that unfortunately are, are, are falling to this thing, you know, and I'm lucky in touch word, I haven't, and, and all that, but... Um, it has this huge, like, I remember when the first reports of like, oh, people are really worried about how the mental health's going to go, and I've sort of suffered from depression for years, I'm thinking, oh, fuck, they know. what are they on about? Well, what it's they can't day, because, Yeah, exactly, yeah. they can't stay inside for a bit, mm. well, it's going to be great, like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Oh, so wrong, <laughs> so wrong. So, you know, all that we can do, I hope, and this is why, rather than just shutting off with your question, I just think it's more like, in any small way, to speak as much as you can about things like this, even if sometimes that doesn't help either, but because <laughs> I'm not one of these people, so I think that it always helps. But yes, you know, it, uh, being completely shut off about it is bad. However, everybody has their own needs, you yeah. know, and it might be somebody that just wants to talk to a specific person in a specific environment. I personally. I've given up on giving a shit about what people think. And you know what? I'm a depressed motherfucker (laughs) and I've suffered from it for years and it will probably be with me for the rest of my fucking life. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to kind of help those that suffer with it as well if Mm. they want to reach out, you know? Yeah, likewise. You know where to find us. We're right here. There are things at the bottom or at the top. Um, and there's always an IPA. There's, there's always, always IPA. IPA. Which doesn't help. <laughs> don't, don't, that's not a, a medically sanctioned. <laughs> 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 yeah. No, it's interesting. I think different things work for different people, but talking mm. generally with in the right yeah. situation with the right person can totally. make such a big difference. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'd always recommend uh, to anybody to, to try and seek the appropriate uh, professional help. Yeah. If, if that's to the point in which they feel like they're at. Honestly, like a lot of people not therapy, but I think there's a lot of bad therapists and there's a lot of good therapists. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to shop around. Um, that's true, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a difficult one, isn't it? Particularly, obviously, we have an amazing health uh, uh, sector here, but it's, on the mental health side of things, particularly in London, it's very tough. Yeah. And so, you know, going private is often the way. Um, and it's very expensive, and nobody's going to deny that. And you have to be very astute to who you're using, and if it's not working for you, then you've got to jump ship. 
There, there, are, there are online apps now. There's an mm. American one. I've forgotten what it's called, but you can get discount depending oh, on what yeah. you pay. So oh, yeah, I'll yeah, see yeah. if I can put a link in the video if anyone needs that. Yep. Check that out, please. Um, yeah, and yeah, it, it's just I've not met many musicians that don't have some kind of depression. I think it goes hand in hand with lots of artists. Creativity. I think it, it gives you a greater uh, knowledge of of pain mm. and love and yeah. joy and sadness. It, it just makes you, I think it doesn't make you feel more, but I think you're more aware of sometimes um, certain levels of depth of feeling and Absolutely, all that impact yeah. stuff around you. And I think that makes it easier sometimes to express things. And that's what we do. We communicate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's the next card? Okay. The Stranger. Yep. This is just so, like, I just feel like I'm reading really lyrics at this point. A bit crazy. Yeah, 30. Mm. I mean, the first thing I think of is shows. You're surrounded by strangers. Yeah. Okay. In shadow, making an, making an entrance in a doorway, stands a character whose sex is ambivalent. The stranger perhaps symbolises that part of our nature that we've shut out, that is now entering in a surprising way. It is the equivalent to the anima or animus, the excluded part of our psyche that is the opposite sex to our own. It can also stand for any person we have underrated or neglected, who could prove themselves a force in our lives. Represented here is also the caution and apprehension we feel towards the new people in our lives initially. 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 Prostate. <laughs> From the prostate to the initial... <laughs> there we go, the stranger. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite a profound card. That is. I was, I was trying to sort of, as you say it, sort of understand the, um, the text there. Um, You're welcome to read it if you want. It's quite a long paragraph. It's quite a long one. Yeah. I'm quite a slow reader, so I'll only be 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we'll have to fill this 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Stands a character whose sex is ambivalent. Mm. Androgyny. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's, it's a heavy one, yeah, like, you know, it is the equivalent to the anima, or animus, the excluded part of our psyche that is our opposite sex to our own. Right, okay. Well, one thing that springs to mind is, um, uh, I remember as a kid hearing um, The Stranger Song by Leonard Cohen, which is off his first record, um, the songs of Leonard Cohen, um, and how that deeply resonated with me with a, a, a notion of, of wanting to kind of be that absent figure, mm. you know, but also in a weird way, needing to get on stage and sort of have a few hundred people looking, looking at you for some fucking weird reason. And, um, and, uh, and there's that conflict of, you know, I shall not let you in, <laughs> however, I want everybody to be aware, you know. Um, so I don't know, it's difficult to decode that card, as you say, it's quite complex, but um, I do feel like, I kind of like feel, feel like, in a kind of romantic way, I'd like to be that stranger, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> do you like the yeah. idea of the of even not being in the room and people mm. feeling that you're not there and like 
sometimes when someone's not there, people think of them more, not necessarily positively, but they think of them the way that I think of someone who's not with me is almost like a, um, I almost feel, I almost appreciate the connection I have with them more, if that makes sense. Yeah. So do you, do you feel like in not being there, you're kind of being loved? In a way. The only thing that springs to mind with that difficult question to ask. <laughs> I'm going to have to answer it. No, no, no. Is is to do is quite um sort of unpleasant thing really, which is that I always think about how you may or may not be perceived when you when you have your funeral, mm. you know, and who would turn up, and um, how it would be that they feel, and particularly with anybody that suffered sort of within the depression arena and if it gets to that unfortunate level of suicidal idealization um you know one does think well if i was to go down that path then i want to completely orchestrate the way people feel about me mm-hmm. you know and so therefore you are the departed therefore you are the stranger in that sense you're no longer there maybe that's more the departed i don't know not so much actually but it's a difficult one, but I would say that the main thing from what your, your, your question was sprung to mind is to do with the idea of wanting to almost um, control what people feel about you yeah. <laughs> in, in your absence. Yeah. You know? um, do you feel like that would be easier to do in a positive way than being in their presence? Um... Not in a positive way, probably. Well, actually, maybe not in a positive way, more in a kind of idealised way. Mm, you know, yeah. again, the sort of, I'm trying not to be to come across as too much of a narcissist, but like, you know, you do want to give yourself uh, to people as a musician, as an artist, in a, in a way that's like, can you try and understand what I'm trying to put here? And like, it's for you a lot of the time, and sometimes it's for me, and you can get something out of it and with that stranger song with the with with, you know Leonard Cohen when you think about what he was conveying there you know that was a gift you know for people to have Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was not an esoteric individualistic thing you know it's like here's my expression I am going to be departed from you when you consume it (laughs) in an ideal world um but I want you to feel something and I want you to get it. You know? mm, um, yeah. But it's, it's very alone. Sorry, so, so, so it's really interesting because it goes back to the, um, the voyeurism angle you were talking yeah. about with voices because that's almost uh-huh. like bridging that gap of how you're perceived in your absence. Yeah. It's like directly relating to that as a concept. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. like really interesting how I think that ties into what you've already been saying to a degree. Yeah, and I think that's that fascination with the kind of characters that we've. Um, conjured up with voices you know and obviously the most obvious example of that for anyone that has listened to the records is that there's you know within london and the narrative and the protagonist the vicarious lover which is a i was direct, thinking of that the whole time yeah it's a direct rip off or should we say lifted from uh, <laughs> uh, graham green's the end of the affair one of the chapters in his book is called um the vicarious lover uh, as in the book within the book yeah um of Maurice Spendrix, the main character um but yeah as you say that kind of detachment is a is a is a thing it's a complete theme um and I think voices is probably the best 
uh, example of our collective works where it's like it's both personal but it's very fucking detached as well mm. you know it's that conflict and that's really interesting and I'm really proud of some of when we hit it right yeah yeah so I'm really proud of some of those works I and mean, I think like you know a song like The Vicarious Lover you know and David's lyrics for that and some of my lyrics for it because that was a mixture of both of our two lyrics you know um pete's very open very um emotional lyrics that he comes up with the opening track the suicide note um to name but a few uh actually probably my favorite song the voices that have ever recorded is footsteps which is a song by pete which is the last song on frightened and you listen to that and that is totally him it feels like an 80s movie that song yeah yeah Yeah. well that's his mindset he's just just like you know yeah he's totally like you know completely in an 80s movie that guy Um, so you know but it's it's both him but also um, a kind of like different more kind of profound level of emotional intensity that even he can't you know reflect (laughs) you know so yeah, you know, I can't remember what we were talking about. Was it about beer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's like I feel this card can apply to pretty much every card. It can apply to the libido. It can apply to the funeral of your death, the stranger. Of, mm. You know, getting to know your own art sometimes. Um, like, do you know what I mean when I say that? Yeah. Yeah, like how it changes over time and and how people receive it. It changes sometimes the the way yeah. that you can see your own music. Um, and you know, the tower. Detachment. Detachment, yeah. for yeah. sure. You know, you've got, you've got all, all of the Sam Loyneses, um in that one card. And it's interesting because mm. you were talking about how, you know, you're, with the sexuality as well, you're, you're exploring the opposite to yourself and the stranger is your opposite. And it's also androgynous as well. So it's like, mm. a, it's like a, in terms of like gender and sexuality, it's um, an undiscovered Unworld? I don't know, it's another detached part. Yeah. It is the very nature of your detachment. Okay, okay it's one more card. What's it going to be? Okay. Work. Oh. Yes. <laughs> okay. The final, you know, thorn in my side. Oh man, the final one. What are the other thorns? Yeah. Okay. A few others. A few, like a Christ figure on the cross. <laughs> crucified by. Okay. Number eight, a pattern of interconnecting wheels and cogs that make up some complex antique machine, but with one small cutting-edged wheel untouched by the rest. This card stands for our jobs. Our place in the economic world reflecting that aspect of the world of work which is impersonal, deadening, and inhuman. It can affect us personally. Yeah. Yeah, and it is strange how everything does relate. And as as a final afterthought, Mm -hmm. um, work is that to me basically um, and I, I definitely always try to do a really good job at my day-to-day job um, and I'm lucky enough just to be able to have to work part-time and that is a choice you know um, and basically I you know I do like to work I'm not anti-work at all you know but it has to run alongside the, um, the creative pursuit um, and to be honest with you, all my work, at, uh, my kind of professional career within any institution, um, it's just been to support my own 
musical pursuit, basically. Um, in an ideal world, of course, I don't want to have to do that, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but I've, particularly within the sort of London environment and culture, um, I've whittled it down to the very bare minimum to what I can do in order to survive. Um, you know, and I'm very lucky to have a good job that, that pays my way that I only have to do half of the week, you know, and the rest of the half of the week, plus those extra days, to be honest, because I don't really rest that much, uh, are dedicated to music. So it's a means to an end for me, yeah. Would you ever consider, like, have you... Would you want to work in a music industry job, or would you find that that could possibly deaden? Yeah, I would actually, yeah. I think, like, you know, there's been a, a times where I've kind of thought, well, why don't I start my own PA, PR uh, company or uh, agency or this, that and the other, booking and la-di-da, uh, because I've been so sort of on the ground mm -hmm. with that, with all the bands, but I've never really got it off the ground. It's very, it's a very difficult industry to get up on, on the, off the ground, as I'm sure you're, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a musician or the business side of things, it's very difficult. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, it's got to a point now really where I actually started to perceive, and this is like, it's, I, I don't mean this in a detrimental way at all, but my musical output and time that I spend throughout the week on music, I do now perceive as work. You know, it's that whole thing of like, oh, I've never perceived it as work. You know, just because you're kind of enjoying what you're doing and because it, you know, it's amazing pursuit uh, creatively. And it's like, well, actually, you know what, that's more, more work of what I, you know, want to constitute as work than this other kind of bullshit that I do just to make money. It's like, <clears throat> that's make money. This is work. But obviously, that's work as well. But um, you can... You can see what I mean? Yeah, no, I view like uh, like a day job or or a job where you're working for someone else essentially as like prostituting your time. Yeah. Because you are selling your body to be with them doing what they want in that moment. Yeah. So really like the economy is just only fans but without <laughs> yeah. without the nudity. Yeah. Like essentially we're just hire we're being hired and I think sometimes. If they pay me more for nudity, I'd do it. Would you start on your It's an easy way to make a buck, but I did think this, like, you know, and I'm sure that there must be like I mean there's a disproportionate between sort of men and women with regards to this industry. But um and a and a you know, positive one for women I suppose. But um but ultimately, you know, you should do That's it. That's an easy buck, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, go you for know, it, man. I'll just, uh, well, I don't know what sort of very small community may want to pay for this. Honestly, like, you'd be surprised. Do you reckon? Yeah, there, there are other guys who are only, only fans and they make a killing. No shit. Why are you shaking your head? <laughs> yeah, no, for real. Okay. No, it's a thing, honestly. I mean, we have a lot of, we have more people simping for Shem than we do for me. Some sort of. Glasses related fitting. Yeah, mm -hmm. perhaps. You know what I mean? We yeah. go, right? Well, your souls are reflected back into the viewer's eyes. <laughs> but no, I, you know, it, you know, as I say, it is a bit of that, right? You're selling your soul a little bit just to work, you know, going back to my actual job. <laughs> uh, uh, but as I say, you know, I remember reading um, Werner Herzog. Um, it was a book called uh, Ver Werner on Werner, or Herzog, no, Herzog on Herzog, right? 
and um, and he was like, I mean, you know that he speaks a lot of shit with his stories, but like, <laughs> you know, if you filter through it, I'm sure that like probably a good 70 percent of it's real. And he was like, in order to, to to finance his first few documentaries and films, he was like a fucking welder and yeah. shit no in the middle way. of Bulgaria or whatever, yeah. right? And he's like, you just do your job in order to make the fucking film, kind of thing, you know. And um, that resonated with me. And uh, never forget that kind of little anecdote in that book, uh, although I'm paraphrasing it very, very much. So, <laughs> um, it's hard. It's hard to sort of do something that you know that your heart's not fully into. Um, and I've been at some jobs which I don't. I've never like hated any of my jobs, but like I've been at jobs which haven't been so great. Um, now I'm lucky and touch wood, it all stays as is. Um, I've got a job that I actually quite like. It's very varied, um, and it's within a you know amazing London institution, Transport for London, and um, and so you know that is what makes a lot of the music happen. And you've got to be modest about these things. And until the tide turns, hopefully, where I can kind of make a very modest living out of music, because that's all I need. I don't need much money at all. Um, and I, I, I shall have to support myself and make it happen, you know? Yeah. You're making it happen. Yeah. You're already doing it. You don't need money, thanks. You can do it for fun. But it's easy buck, though. It is easy buck, <laughs> yeah. You know, I agree, like finding a, a job that's fulfilling mm. in, in not necessarily in the sense that the work you do is good, but the fact that it fits in with your life. Totally. That's just, that's just, Big you know, deal. I'm lucky enough to Big have that. Big fucking deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah like cool. it's, it's great. Um, yeah, it's great. That's mm. a really, it's a really good... I still go to London, particularly. Oh my God, yeah. fuck yeah. London. Yeah, yeah, um, I know. But... I love it, but I hate it. Um, Me too. Me too. Yeah, yeah. sorry, it's a pretty obvious thing to say. It to is a, a highly uh, love-hate relationship, and now I've been here... I don't know. Have you been here? I, I was born here. Yeah, I thought yeah. so. I've been here. And same life. with you, right? And if you're obviously not originally from London, but um, I was born in Westminster. Oh right. I was born in Peckham. There you go. Yeah. So it's um, you know, ten or eleven years for me here. Did you come out from Somerset? Or am I imagining that? No, no, not at all. Cambridge, actually. Cambridge. Oh, yeah, Sorry. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Somerset. I'm Somerset. actually from Somerset. <laughs> <laughs> Essential kind of <laughs> The Queen's English. You must educate me. As a native English person, I really know very little about. I was clearly raised in some kind of like Persian fucking mm. like void box. Oh, that sounds very interesting. Nice. What's the name of our next band? Uh, Persian void box. <laughs> That's a very unique thing to call it. Yeah, no, um, But London, you know, crikey, it's just, you know... It's, it's a different country. It just, you know, I've now got to a point where, you know, I mean, the record, London, is enough of an indicator to think, you know, it's just too much. Yeah. For too long. 
I, I honestly feel you know? deafened by it. Yeah. At times, like, yeah. like in your soul, it's like a, it's like the boot at the end of 1984. Sometimes just yeah. repeatedly stamping on your skull. Like I saw someone die on a tube train on the way to oh, work really? once, and oh that my made gosh. me quit my city job. Like that's that's my London, Fuck right me. there. Um, yeah, you just see. You see people like overdosing on trains and like right. there's not a day that goes by, especially here, about someone yeah. going crazy or yeah. but there's you know there's beauty in it too. There's, like, of course, yeah, beauty, and it's yeah. like you know it's totally the love hate thing, and I'm still mm. there with it. Otherwise, I would have moved out. It's one of these people that just sort of habitually complains about where they live and then <laughs> doesn't do anything about it. It's like I am actually I still do love London for a lot of reasons. Yeah, the culture um, here is incredible. Exactly. Yeah, um, and the in England. I think it's like if you're gonna live anywhere in England, you might as well fucking live here, unless you're like really, mm. really into wanting to live a rural life because there's some amazing rural spaces. Yeah. But the weather's just too shit. God, I'm cold like, like, it's like, like I'm, of the year. I'm so lucky to be part Irish, <laughs> <laughs> so I can get the EU passport, which is in the post. As oh well. my Lovely. goodness, it's that's gonna be like a blessing. Year or something from now. That's gonna like, be great for touring as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm just. Uh, as, as soon as, as soon as I can make it happen, I'm moving to Europe. Oh man, please take Where us. <laughs> Probably south of France. Yeah, that's man, ideal. So that was that was kind of our yeah. plan before Brexit was yeah. to move yeah. to the south of France yeah. and just have like a little band on play yeah. and I mean, tour Europe. And... With a bit of luck, that's what's going to be in the one to three year plan from now. And even if it means like, obviously I'm just going to like move over there, but rather like spend a good portion of the year there mm. and then come back here. You That's know, amazing. You know. um, yeah, you're in proximity to all the big festivals. Hellfest, we'll see you at Hellfest yeah. for sure. To be honest with you, by that point, I probably won't even bother. You'll be drinking wine, wine. Drink wine and eat mm. cheese and fuck <laughs> Never speak to anyone again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dog. Yeah. Talk to your dog. <laughs> it's like that philosopher where, the, where people referred to his uh, dog, he was like, he didn't have a partner. And they called yeah. his dog Mrs. Whatever his name was. Who was that? Oh, I don't know. Oh, like, the rings of yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, like Bruce said, I was then by referring to his dog as his wife. <laughs> so yeah, you know, that's, uh, it's a love-hate thing with the city. And um, it's, you know, obviously I've met many great people and musically speaking, it's been a, a, a hotbed for collaboration and I'd never forget that. And I, I would debt to, to to the city because of that, but that only goes so far. I feel and like the debt is paid. The debt's paid. Yeah. Maybe even years ago now. So, you know, it's been established. It is what it is. And, um, you know, I'd much prefer, uh, you know, good tasting vegetables and, <laughs> and hot weather, you know, and a house that you can actually buy. Wow. Mm. Can you imagine? With bits that work. <laughs> Yeah. You have to petition a like, faceless oh, man to have a shower. It's like 300 days of sunshine a year. Mm. <laughs> Get used to that, okay. You could drive to Italy and... <laughs> that would be okay. That would be okay. You know, um, I've not actually seen it, but I had someone referenced on a, bo a podcast I listened to about um, there's a, apparently a promo photo of the Antichrist Imperium, which you and Dave in front of a council estate, the oh, other two guys... I've never seen that. Is that real? That's the best that sounds hilarious. photo shoot that we've ever done. That is such actually. a funny idea. And that was done by Esther. Who Esther Segarra? Yeah. She's incredible. She's a legend mm. out of the sort of scene and um, always used to do Akikoka photos and very, very kindly did that Antichrist Imperium pho uh, pho photography uh, session. 
and um, it was out of a, a Elephant and Castle estate where she was living at the time, and um, they are the best pictures of me and Dave that will ever be, without question. It's like some fucking Duran, 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 like gone <laughs> negative shit. <laughs> like the, the uh, have you seen the pictures? Mm. I think uh, I've seen them. I'm pretty sure I saw it's them. It's in her book. She's yeah. got a book out, so they're in that. But, um, oh man, I remember when we, because like Dave particularly is very, very particular about um, his, like whenever we do photo shoots with the various bands, like he's just one of those people that doesn't doesn't like photo shoots, basically. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's and, interesting. Um, and, uh, and, and, I mean, I don't love them either. Very people, few people love them, but like, I don't mind them. You know, it can be okay. very stressful. Yeah, and yeah. it's a bit like nine times out of ten, I'm just like, okay, that looks all right, and you go with it, kind of thing. Um, and we're lucky enough to have worked with mostly great photographers, so I just kind of entrust in their judgment. Dave's not like that fucking. <laughs> 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 he really entrusts in 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 um, in in Esther, mm. and she, he wasn't wrong because it's just they had the best pictures of me and him, without a doubt. Yeah. So that's funny because um, he's such a photogenic guy. Like you, yeah. you are. He's like, like, like Ray Fiennes. Yeah, yeah. For real. Yeah. Mm. Like even when he cut his hair, he still mm. looked very striking, which is Absolutely. not something that everyone can boast that um, that does such a thing. So, I totally agree. Yeah, good on you guys for being, um, you know, ten out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we try. You do. We try. It's a, it's good. It's nice that you're not wearing like I don't know, like shorts and. Like mm. five-day-old band shirts on stage, I guess. That's what I want to wear, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like fucking like anthrax back in the day. Yeah, man. No, no judgment on anyone who does. It's just yeah. yeah it's just no, crazy. for us it was never the thing, you know. Yeah. Like we, we, um, you know, even even before I even knew who Akakoka was or or Nick Cave or Scott Walker or all these people that have influenced our kind of like thing, mm. it's like. We kind of just naturally dressed quite straight anyway, for want of a better phrase, you know. And um, and I suppose now Akakoka has moved through that, and we're sort of enjoying embracing the kind of band T-shirt thing and like the yeah, you know the bullet belts and all this kind of stuff. Um, and that's just because we're kind of like, well, we've done that other shit for years. So particularly Paul and Jason, particularly, they're enjoying being a bit more casual about things, you know. This Personally, I'd actually prefer to go back to dressing like a fucking, you know, like Lord Lord Summerall. <laughs> I'm not both. <laughs> yeah. With a bullet belt. I mean, yeah, lots of with a bullet belt. <laughs> you and Paul should style the band at the same time and just see what happens. Yeah. It would be so good. I would love that so much. Yeah, because Paul dresses casual, but like, you guys dress casual but well. Oh, uh, yeah. That's what I mean. Like, you're not like, you know, yeah, stained and like. Yeah, you Everybody does actually, yeah. yeah. You know, now that sort of feds in the fold, you know, he's learning. Um, <laughs> he, you know, he's he's often the same, and he's got like a lot of similar kind of um, interesting um, sort of uh, parts to his personality and interests um, that we instantly kind of move towards. Like he knows so much about wine, for instance. Yeah. Oh. You know, and speaks a lot of different languages, which is always for me like a very interesting thing for anybody that I meet. And uh, and so yeah, you know he's fit in very nicely. He's very energetic, as I say. You know, he's not definitely. He's probably happy that we don't wear suits anymore, though. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's a pain if you're touring, I imagine. It's got an iron mm. and then, like... I mean, I never really was touring with them um, when they were doing that really strictly. Mm. Uh, uh, I always used to dress smart when they were kind of on the back end of dressing smart, so they weren't quite kind of doing suits and stuff. But yeah, it was, it was always a bit more like a uniform kind of thing. Mm. Um, and, you know, to, to uh, you know, having sort of spoken about this thing with the guys, they did say that, well, actually, it wasn't too bad because shirts would keep you a lot cooler, actually, at, at yeah. gigs than the t-shirts, I think, because it's sort of, you know, a bit more sort of air, to, air sort of to breathe or whatever. And um, yeah, they just they would have to look after those garments, otherwise it would just look absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> you know, completely creased. So it yeah. was. I think I suppose it's the equivalent of when you know black metal bands often put on the face makeup. You know, probably similar level of effort. Yeah, it's like corpse paint, but for your, your body. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, I, I've never asked you this, but when did you first listen? Like, how did you discover Agricola? Um, it was on a Kerrang! or Metal Hammer or Terrorizer t uh, uh, CD no that went on the front of the, the um, uh, magazine and um, never heard of them or whatever. Corrin's on era uh, and it was, I think, Enraptured by Evil that was on that there. That is a brilliant And I remember this, like, you know, it was... And at the time, it was obviously into Slayer, Metallica, and all the great thrash bands. Maybe some sort of like more contemporary music at the time, like System of a Down and things like this, you know, which is a bit heavier, I suppose. Um, and then hearing that, it was like, that is, I couldn't cope with it at all. It was like so offensive to my ears, the, yeah. the, 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 the snare hits you know so constant the blasting and all that um and i remember just being like that's fucking so extreme i'm really interested and really <laughs> like intrigued by this but I'm, I'm not getting any pleasure out of this kind of thing and um and then i remember like almost an addiction and i'm not really an addictive person but almost like an addiction i felt i have to go back and listen to that it was that's like so a need and uh, then i remember going to hmv and looking up Akakoka because of that song and uh, uh, the Enraptured by Evil on the, on, on the uh, Terrorizer disc or whatever it was uh, and get picking out uh, the guy with Mendes which obviously when you, you look at the front cover and it's like completely monochrome really dark satanic image uh, mm. of a goat, a naked woman, a goat with Mendes Akakoka spaced out in that kind of alien, alien, yeah, yeah. alien font, you know, rather than being the kind of like black metal kind of really illustrative, um, dark fantasy, fantasy yeah. thing, right? And I didn't know what to make of it. Put it uh, because back in the day, you used to be able to put in um, CDs and HMV and listen on the headphones. You guys probably remember, maybe do, maybe don't. Uh, and I remember just like of menstrual blood and semen came on <laughs> and I just remember just being like this is fucking too much again <laughs> <laughs> extreme atonal out out there shit I've ever heard and just not liking it <laughs> being totally and utterly yeah. amazed by it basically mm. and 
again, had to go back, again, had to go back. Dude, this is the same for me, that's so oh, weird. Yeah, yeah so that's really similar, because I had a similar, smaller... Yeah. Like, the first, I, I got into, I picked up a copy of Kerrang! Mm-hmm. And Dom Lawson had reviewed uh, the Antichrist album, it was the week it came out. And I, cool. I was like, who... These guys sound really weird. Yeah. And, um, and out there, and like, repressed Asian girl what are you going to do? You're going to want to listen to this kind of like crazy music that you're not allowed to listen to. Yeah. So I went, I, I went to HMV, I bought Antichrist, yeah. and I put it in my Walkman, and I was like, what the fuck is this? This is disgusting. Like, who? <laughs> <laughs> this is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What are they doing? This is so, it was so extreme. Satanic. It was extreme. Genuinely satanic. Yeah, yeah and yeah. like, I listened to like Verdelay, and I was like, I'm not sure, I don't, I don't think I can listen to this. I, I, yeah. I picked up Sister, it was the first metal I'd ever listened to. Bear yeah. in mind, like, I hadn't listened to Slayer, hadn't listened to anything yeah. else. I picked up System of a Down and Akakoka, and they both became my favourite bands from the week. Yeah, yeah. Like, I remember, like, um, I think like my dad yelled at me or something. I was like 15, 16. Mm-hmm. So like, I just went to my room, I put Akakoka on my Walkman, <laughs> and I got up in bed. And I listened to the entire album, and I was like, this is good. <laughs> this yeah. is great. Like, oh my god. The, you know, and I just listened to everything they did. It was incredible. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I still get a sense of that fan thing. Like, it's so odd to say it, and I, but I don't mind saying it. Mm. It's just like when, when we're in the rehearsal space and I've heard, you know, horns of Baphomet, you know, like 15,000 times. <laughs> <laughs> I can sit back and just enjoy watching these guys play it, yeah. you know, and I love the music still. That's amazing. And, you know, as I say to Jason, you know, as much as I can, particularly when we've had a few drinks, you know, whatever, it's like, it is a pleasure and an honour to play with the band, you know, um, and that from a purely musical sense, we're just friends, so like we are, whatever, that's a different issue, but musically speaking, it's still that thing, you know? Yeah. Sorry to chime in again, but like, when the fact that you play guitar as well, and yeah. like to be so close to seeing like, those guys playing guitar, they're like yeah. artisans. You know, like when you're a musician, you go to a concert, you see certain people play, and like you're just watching the guy play guitar. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a different, and it's the same thing, and like you get to be close to that. Like I'm completely hypnotized whenever I see Echo. Cool. Like watching Dave play drums, watching them play yeah, guitar. Yeah, honestly, like, I was it's... just watching, I, I'm not just like necessarily listening, I'm watching you guys play. Yeah, yeah, good. And like, cause like, I will. No, I used to do that. Different show, I'd be like, day. where am I gonna stand today? Well, I'm gonna stand in front of Scanners and watch him yeah, do yeah. his amazing thing on the, yeah, on the yeah, guitar. Yeah. Or am I going to stand in front of you and be like, what well, you like? What cool yeah. movements? Plug in my thing if it's coming. Yeah, out. helping you. Am <laughs> you know, I going to stand like so I can see Dave's feet just going like? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is not accurate. Um, but yeah, like it's just. It's I think empty. Jason and David have like a real thing. Like if you notice, mm. like that. I mean, we all have a thing, but like that that is the anchor between those two. You know. So it's your personality, um, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I is. see you guys will look at each other on stage sometimes. Yeah, it's and you like... don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like, the, the, the first show, the, the reunion show, the, the way oh, yeah. you guys were looking at each other. Christ. It was so was fucking emotional. One. That was a good one. Yeah. That was, a good one. It was the sold out show in London, right? Yeah, I'm pretty fucking sure Jason hell. didn't cry to that show. It was intense. Yeah. That gig was intense mm. for everybody involved. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I might have maybe shed a, a slight amount of water. It was like fucking. I was scared. I don't know if stupid to say it, but it was like a religious experience. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's probably the closest thing I'll ever have. Because, you know, there was, it was something different. It was a stock show, which was just shit. 
Really? Yeah, oh, man. Well, obviously, you know, people were happy with it, you know, in terms of fans and stuff, and that's great, and that's really, really good. But, like, as a band, like, and I wasn't even playing that show, but, like, it was it was just nobody could get it together and it was this huge stage mm. and all the rest of it. Then we came home to the underworld. Yeah. And it was like, you know, we rehearsed better and obviously I was doing keys and it was all tied together. And obviously, as I say, they realized that they were shit without me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just it's, it's great because like, I feel like for a really long time you were the biggest Akakoka fan I knew. Yeah, exactly. So, and so that's still the, the thing. Person. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was it. And like now I realise that I'm really not the biggest Akakoka fan because there are fans out there <laughs> that like, oh, holy shit. And the big, maybe the biggest Akakoka fan in the world is actually this amazing individual that we work with on most of our gigs, a guy called Jason, um, or Yasuna, as he's known in his Greek tongue, because uh, he is from Greek. Yeah, from Greek. Sorry. He is a Greek. He never likes to be called Yasuna for some bloody reason. Oh. Anyway, mm. the land of Greek. <laughs> and, um, but he, he knows everything about the fucking band, like to the point of where he goes, you know, uh, oh yeah, that was that one, you played that one uh, song in Woking uh, in 2001, <laughs> and it was the only time we ever played that song. You're like, what? But he knows, you know, and he is Dave's drum tech mostly, uh. and he, but he just helps out the whole operation and is, is as key to the band as wow. any member of the band. That's an intimidating so. job being Dave's drum tech. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Because yeah. Dave doesn't know what's going on with his drums. Really? No. What? He, would quite, he would quite openly say this, like he is just like, he's not the guy that can organize huh. the drums. Oh, because it's so right? much like, like triggers. Well, there's a lot of stuff. the drums for a start. So yeah. it's actually quite a complex setup anyway. Mm. So you can't blame him from that perspective, but like more that he is just so immersed within just the playing, yeah. he just doesn't know how to set up his fucking drum kit. <laughs> so like half the time, so, uh, so, so Yasuna, um, Jason, he, uh, he knows it back to front. So whenever Jason isn't there to help Dave, Dave has a bit of a harder time, to be honest with Aww. you. You know, from a performative level, although he gets on, he's, he's long enough in the tooth to be able to deal with it when he's not there. But like, in an ideal world, you know, it's that whole, the first thing, you book a gig, first thing you do, ring up yes and be like, are you free on this yeah. day? And he's like, fuck yeah, like nine times out of 10. Incredible. You know what I mean? He's, 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 a back, he's one of the backbone figures of the band. That's amazing. And he's one of the loveliest people you'll ever, you'll ever meet. Wow. Oh, yeah. If I see awesome. someone that, I don't know what he looks like, but if I see someone say Yasuna and Akakoka gig, I'm going to find him. Yeah, do. Oh, you get on hello. very well. You get on oh, very, sure. very well. He's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Thank you so much. Nice one. For letting me ask you questions about death and yeah. um, sex. <laughs> so what other what other kind of like wanna... themes are there? Because this is crazily like in... Exactly as it almost should be. I know, right? I mean, the, do, you, do you want to do the biggest spread? You can, we can just, add the ones to the extremes, no? Go on. I can show you. So yeah. you need to do two here. Yeah. I'll just do it in the order. Go on then. All right. Then we can turn them over at the same time. Oh, uh, yeah, sounds good. Um, well, then we need to explain the re re relevance of the left and the right, yes. Yeah. 
Go on. So, ten. You put one card here. And one card there, yeah? No, uh, this one and then the, it's a weird order, so you put yeah. one card here first. Okay. Ah, I knew you'd get the voyage. And um, it's the other way around. next one. Face down, this next uh, one. Face down, yeah. Oh, Shem is a sticker for the rules, which yeah. I like. Hang on, let me just make sure it's the right amount. Yeah, and then this one. This one. Sorry. Ready? Are you ready? And then... Oh, there's an under one. One on top? Yeah. One on the bottom. So to okay. put it into perspective before we turn, yep. all this stuff is supposed to be what's coming towards you and happening. The like the, this region here. Yeah, everything okay, close yeah, to yeah, the yeah. Inquirer is yeah. close to you. These are yeah. the things that like most closely inform you. So we have like the core of you, mm -hmm. and then here is like the voyage. All this other stuff is going to be happening to you. Okay. This is your underlying driving force. So this is what okay. pushes you forward. Yeah. And this is your goal, mm -hmm. so this is where you want to be going, and hopefully we'll be going. So if you want to flip them over, it was this one, then this one. Yeah. You can flip this over now, we'll do yeah. it all in order. So the voyage and then... Peace. Fucking hell, this is crazy, mate. This Go one on. next. I guess that's you moving to the country. Yeah, exactly. Tree, laying down roots. Mm. Next. Ooh. Mother. That's always a big one. <laughs> she doesn't want to say it because it's going to freak me out. Go on. What? And this is next, so this is where you want to go to your goals. Oh. oh what does that say? This is never. Never. Okay, interesting. <laughs> yeah. And then this is what's driving you forward. Liberation. Mmm. Well, oh, that's pretty fucking crazy. Yeah? Well, it seems weird that it should be the, you know, the voyage and then let, setting down roots, right? Yeah. That's pretty crazy because there is a change imminent. I see. Uh, and then peace, right? Yeah. Which is what I'm kind of searching for. Precisely. <laughs> and you're talking about, as well, I guess, a sense of connection is probably something you're looking for. When we talk about the libido. Right. And you wanted, like, a, you were talking about long-term connections. So this doesn't mean I'm going to have kids then? I don't know. Well, Maybe you're going to have a mother. Right. Um, you know, it could be a partner, it could be... For a, a minute, I thought that's what that meant. It Maybe it does it mean. It can. It could, okay. be, it could mean, it could mean okay. lots of different things. I mean, but you've then, got the tree. The next one was never. Never. This is, that's a pretty weird one. <laughs> These are decision cards. Uh, yeah. We even know because they're spicy and make you think. Um, mm. So never, let me read, quickly read it. So usually if you have something you're thinking about as a decision, um, Nev, like, this could be an answer to that. Yeah. So this means a bleak outlook, the possibility of failure and the denial of fulfillment. So this could yeah. be movement, you know, being mm -hmm. able to buy a house or mm -hmm. go to France or, mm -hmm. or you know, stay, not staying in London, not being able to. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, liberation. liberation. Which seems like quite a fitting kind of escape plan. <laughs> The interesting thing about that card is that in the description, the prison door has no lock. Mm. So it was always open the whole time. Yeah. So it's like kind of realising that you're sometimes restricting yourself. Hmm. I think that's reasonable to say. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we did the, the sort of... Um, it's quite nice doing it in that kind of quick way in there. Uh, yeah. I think we'll do this more in future. Like a kind of like a bulk information and then... Uh, 
it's like shooting you with a shotgun of, uh, yeah, yeah. of like psychological fuckery. Yeah, fuckery. That's yeah. exactly it. Well, that was good. Thank you so much for allowing me to Thank delve you. deep into your psyche. Oh, yeah, it was good fun. Yeah, you seem you seem shaken. No, well, that was quite um, an interesting last little turnaround for that bit there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, nice though. I think it's positive overall, for sure. Totally. Yeah. Totally. What we usually yeah. do at this point is take a picture of this. Yeah. Take a picture of us as well. Sounds great. I mean, what? No stopping them. Oh, I mean, if you want to. No, you to say that like. Oh yeah. That was a good, good yeah, segue.